You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep-voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, please do so immediately. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. So without any further ado, let me turn to today's guest, at-large council member, Anita Bonds. Thank you so much for coming, council member. Thank you very much, Josh, for having me on this Wonderful show. Interesting show. I love the introduction. (laughs) It's new. It's experimental. It's offbeat. You know, it's like uh, folks want to watch Channel 13 and have hearings back to back. They can do that. This is, uh, you know, the idea of if you have some interest in local politics, but you want to lighten it up a little bit and get to know the characters uh, on the show. That's the I think it's a great idea. Um, In fact, uh, more and more people are saying they want to know who their elected officials are. They really want to get to know them. And I say, we're all just people like you. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's totally true. And I I mean, I always have Channel 13 on in the background and sometimes in a question or an intro, you know, a little bit of your bio will come out or, you know, their bios online, there's Wikipedia entries, but I'm amazed how much I learn in the midst of doing these shows. So hopefully yeah. listeners are in the same the same boat. All right. So so you've been in DC pretty much your whole life. That's correct, yes. That's correct. Yes. There's a little asterisk at the at the beginning that steals away that native yes. Washingtonian. Yes. But it's it does. like a matter of just days or weeks, right? Um a matter of a few weeks, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh so close. I, yeah. Sometimes native Washingtonian people use that as a club. Like, well yeah. I'm a native Washingtonian. Oh, I you know, hear that and, a lot. But, You're exactly right. I really grew up in Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Benning Ridge uh, community. At least that's what we call it now. When I was growing up, all I knew is that I lived near Southern Avenue gotcha. and Benning Road, mm-hmm. you know, Southeast. So I tell people, you know, when we're talking about Cardoza and other schools, I said, well, listen, I'm a Southeast girl. And they're like, yay, really? <laughs> yes, because almost everyone likes to say I'm from Northwest, but I'm a Southeast girl. I happen to live in Northwest now, raised my kids in Southwest um, uh, down by the, the, the what is now the New Wharf and, and what have you. So um, I've lived around in the District of Columbia. I'm proud of it, yes. That, 
that's great. And, and what I've found, and it only just very recently occurred to me, is having had a child in D.C., I made a native Washingtonian. I'm yes. not a native Washingtonian, <laughs> but I generated one. And then yes. that's, you know, the next best thing to, to that's actually right. be that's in right. the camp. Yes, I have three of those, thank goodness, yes. Excellent, excellent. Uh, now, uh, some of the stuff I didn't know was uh, you went to uh, University of California, Berkeley. That's for correct. college. Yes, that's right. So t- talk about the motivation to go all the way across country. Was it for the subject matter? Was it the school? Was it the weather? It was the subject matter. Um, back in the late um, 60s, there were only two locations for a quote-unquote college of chemistry. When I was in high school, I was knee-deep in the sciences. Absolutely loved wearing my um, lab coat every day. <laughs> um, in fact, I had maybe like three three classes, and um, two of them were science, so it was appropriate for me to do that. And um, when I made the choice to go to California, I realized that uh, going to Michigan, because the University of Michigan was the other location, and of course, um, in those days, we um, relied quite a bit on encyclopedias, okay, mm-hmm. as our point of information. And um, and so when I talked with the school counselor, I explained, I said, well, Michigan is pretty cold. Yes, it's pretty cold, you know, snow and what have you. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I want to do that. And they said, well, you'll have to really have warm winter clothing. So I said, ah, California is where I'll go. <laughs> but that's quite a that's quite a leap for for someone who was in DC for all those years to go hours and hours away. It was it was, and I must tell you, on the plane out, I met a um, young um, soldier who was on his way to Cambodia, and that really had an effect on me because he was so jovial and thinking about how he was going to cure all the ills of the world. And of course, as we know, many of our troops did not return home. And um, and that may have been one of the motivations uh, while I was on campus at Berkeley to get, you know, to get involved, yeah. And how did your family take the news you were going a continent away? Uh, I did not go to Cambodia. No, 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 no. no. A continent away to California. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess you could say that. We do have that divide, right? (laughs) Okay, we'll take that. Um, Well, um, my, um, my parents knew that I was going to go away to school. I was one of those lucky students that received a number of scholarship offers. And they were really surprised, though, that I was choosing California as opposed to you know, Louisiana or New York State or, or Massachusetts and places like that. But I thought it would, um, it was the right place to go because I was so in love with the sciences, so it made the difference for me. And was that just a bug, the sciences? Did you just get bitten by the bug, or was there a field trip or a family member? Or a... Well, you know, I've always been an avid reader. And in fact, when I was in elementary school, um, I remember the librarian saying, well, Anita, we don't have any new books. You pretty much read everything. I would read a book <laughs> a day. Um, read um, after doing my you know, homework um, in the bed with the light 
mm-hmm. under the you know sheet and what have you. Yes, yeah. There might be someone in my household who fits I'm that. I'm sure that's that. wonderful. She You're hasn't lucky. read all the books. <laughs> Thankfully, they have a brand brand new library and yeah. a newly renovated school. But she's yeah. trying her darndest. Yeah, to well, catch there, up there to are you. more volumes now. Um, when when I was growing up, schools didn't. Uh, concentrate on what happened in the library, you know, per se. Mm-hmm. It was more what happened in the classroom. So, and were you, you mentioned encyclopedias, which, yes. which are definitely something I remember from growing yes. up. I remember when you when you'd get a volume at the supermarket. You oh, go okay. every week and you yeah. pay a dollar, or probably was less than a dollar back yeah. then. But that's yeah. how we that's how we got our encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. Yes, so. I remember. I remember that too. Yeah. Right. To our younger listeners, an encyclopedia is kind of like Wikipedia, printed out, rapidly outdated. But uh, man, it's all we had. And if you needed yeah. to know something about something, yeah, and it wasn't in the dictionary, that was your next uh, point of reference. Correct. And it also was primarily uh, accurate. Um, uh, Wikipedia, I'm not always sure, you know, that's an entry that anyone can make. Not saying that we're inaccurate in our stories, but, um, or in what we like to see in print. But um, because I think the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica and those volumes were printed and bound, we felt like we could depend on the information in the volumes. Yeah, yep, that makes sense. I've but I've contributed to the betterment of Wikipedia because I put out <laughs> council member birthdays based on what's in Wikipedia, and I probably have about a ninety-five percent batting oh, average. Yeah. But once in a blue moon, I'll get the email sometimes from a council member or a staffer <laughs> saying, "Uh, you said the council member's birthday is the fifth; it's the third. Yeah, yeah. But generally, yeah. I can get word back yeah. to the folks that put in the Wikipedia entry, and they actually yeah. make Wikipedia better, which is well, the way I, it's supposed I'm to work. Well, I'm delighted that you. Um, function as our communications person. I haven't had a chance to tell you that, um, you know, in person, but I think it makes a lot of sense. One of the things I find in talking to people in the community, uh, they when they talk about the government, they see the uh, executive and the legislative all in one big bungle and um, do not realize that we have a very defined role, so does the executive, um, but when they're very angry about something, we all are to blame. And I said, well, ma'am, we don't uh, run any programs that's not good enough in the community. Yeah. <laughs> so having you as the communications person is, is very rewarding because you kind of pull us together and 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 have us um, to do the I think effective outreach so that the public knows who we are and what our role is. No, I appreciate that. I have to admit, I mean, I was an ANC commissioner for years, but even I didn't kind of get the interrelationship, the kind of frenemy status between the legislative and the executive from day to day. Yeah. Sometimes in total lockstep, total partner, sometimes yeah. fighting over big stuff, sometimes fighting over yeah. silly stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I wish we were one big team, but kind of the next best thing would be for people to at least understand how things work. Yeah. So I'm glad that they're getting some insight, and that's one of the reasons we're here. All right. Now, you were at Berkeley in mm-hmm. the 60s. Yeah, so late 60s, yeah. that was... That was a time to be at Berkeley. It was. Talk to me a little yeah. bit about that whole culture and the politics and the, the just cultural uh, element, well, way of life, all that stuff. You know, when when we began on the university, 
Um, it was um, against the war, right. um, naturally, and it emerged to be free speech. Um, it was a little difficult because we were following our hearts as students and trying to keep up with, I guess, what bit of information that we had um, as to how the war was progressing or not progressing and how many um, young people in particular through the draft were losing their lives. And um, that stuck out more than than anything else. And so we um, attempted some some rallies. Um, In fact, um, those of us who were to graduate in um, 1970, we we weren't allowed to go across the stage um, because they were afraid that there would be uh, more um, disruption. Right. (laughs) So... (laughs) And it's it's got to be it's got to be a tough time because you well I mean in the moment you don't realize it's the moment it is I mean looking back yeah. it was a, such a seminal moment in history yeah. uh, but it's got to be complicated in the sense that this is your education I mean these are your yeah. four years to do your book learning but conversely yeah. there's things going around you in the world that can't stand and that you have an opportunity and yeah. a voice and it's got to be tough to balance yeah. all that and and some of the students actually joined the uh, civil rights movement, um, attempted a tour of duty down to Mississippi. Um, so we were, we were very much the activist community yeah. in those days. And of course, you know about Kent State and some of the other you know, situations that developed. Um, I think what it did for me um, is pointed out that there's more in the world than just, you know, this book education. You know, you also have to live this life. And um, again, very much like the students um, that have rallied against, you know, gun violence. Right. Um, we, we were rallying. Uh, we were doing what we felt we needed to do. And um, I think every so often we get generations of, of us, the young folk, who really just take the bull by the horn and just move the agenda, and I think it makes America better. Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Was it? Uh, this just popped into my head. Uh-huh. Um, was it roughly even male, female, because of deferments, and you know, people who are, or, or was it more leaning more towards uh, women? Um, or was it? You mean as far as the activists? Just, just no, this, just the student body. I'm just um, curious. It was, it was more, more guys really. Even with even with yeah. the war, it was still yeah. more guys. Yeah, yeah, I guess that I guess yeah. that figures. I was yeah. just wondering. And uh, one of my sort of unofficial jobs is to maintain council trivia, and okay. you and you end up being the answer to a number of council trivia questions. Okay, all right. One of which was, who are the chemistry majors that have uh, <laughs> served on the council? And listeners, not to spoil it, but it's you and uh, and uh, Mayor Barry. Right, right. That a lot of right. folks like you, I, I don't yeah. think people are super familiar with the fact that he was from a science background. Definitely, and, he was. Yeah. And also coming up during the civil rights era, he he could have gone a different direction. I think he was, from what I've read at least, was a gifted scientist. Yes, yes, yes. So, he was, uh, yeah, yeah. 
So, and I think you two are the only two. I can't think of anyone I think, else who. I think you're are right. From a, well, Charlene Drew Javis um, was by you know, in biology. Yeah, yeah. no, that's that's yeah. true. That's true. So it that's comes, kind of I know that, but I don't know of anyone else. Yeah. Right. I also saw um, that you. Uh, were a statehood compact commissioner. Yes. <laughs> what I to be honest, that one stumped me. Tell me a little okay. bit about that. At some point in our history, when we were um, uh, talking about statehood, mm-hmm. and we were really talking about, we really were talking about home rule, right? And having the um, ability to go to vote for president. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these measures were put in place. And when I say measures put in place, um, citizens got together and decided, well, really through uh, Walter Fontroy was one of those that was pushing this agenda and decided that we really needed to have a, um, if we're going to become a state, if we're going to have home rule, how do we how do we go from home rule to statehood? And so they put together um, an elected process. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. um, I remember a big assembly. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. I see the auditorium, and within those confines, they elected a few people. And I was one of the. I was very young then, and I mm-hmm. think that's why. I got elected, <laughs> and so I was elected to this compact um, position. And what our role was was really to promote um, the uh, self-determination for the District of Columbia. Yeah. It, it's really tough um, being from a generation where I just missed the victories that we had. We did have victories for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the, vote, the presidential vote. We got home rule. Right. Um, and I mean, there have been small things since yeah. then, but but we're long overdue for a, a true victory in we the statehood are. movement, just if for no other reason than to remind us that yeah. there are victories to be had. Yeah. I mean, what comes to mind is just the other evening I was in um, a community and on the dais with a couple of other, um, well, really candidates, and... Um, they were expounding how we needed to do this, we needed to do that. And then from the audience, someone said, well, why why aren't we doing that? We really need to tax these people who come and go in the city. Of course, you know we can't have commuter tax. Right. Um, or at least that's what we've been told. I think it's time for us to try it again personally. But that was the issue, talking about how do we treat um, so many folk that come in our city and they pay nothing, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. And um, it was pointed out then that, well, you know, I said every piece of legislation leaves us and goes to Congress. I said, we're still stuck in that bag. And so we really do need statehood. And I was amazed. There were about 25 people in the audience, and they all clapped. And I said, well, wow, because I remember the day when you talked statehood, you talked self-determination, and people were like, yeah, but, you know, don't we get more from Congress than we do from our own leaders here in the city? So it was refreshing to know that people are finally gelling on this point that we do need statehood. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it kind of it's a kind of peaks and peaks and valleys in yeah, the movement. But 
I had read that the, the League of Women Voters, I want to say in the, maybe the 50s or the 60s, had a two million signature petition. And this wasn't, needless to say, it was not an online petition. These mm-hmm. were actual signatures, yeah. two million signatures in support of statehood. And, wow. you know, it's, it's the thought of doing that now is yeah. uh, makes me go crazy that, that uh, it'd be so hard to do. No, um, it would not. Two, two, two million paper signatures. Listen, we have <laughs> we have two million people coming into the city every day. And what we need to do is either stand at those garages or at the metro mm-hmm. and just collect those signatures. It could be done. It's but we would need a lot of homegrown troops to do that, so to speak. Those of us who would be willing to do that day in and day out, so we would capture every signature. Absolutely. Uh, let me jump back. I mentioned him briefly earlier okay. to Marion Barry, because okay. you worked on his first ever campaign. And many people would say, oh, his council campaign or his first mayor campaign. No, you worked on his school board. I did not work on his school oh. board. I worked I'm on sorry. his council, his council race. Oh, yes. okay. Um, he was pretty much determined um, to be the school board um, president when um, Walter Fontroy, who was then just elected to the Congress, asked me um, if I would help um, in his um, campaign. So I really got there in the eleventh and a half hour okay so but i did go on to work in his um at large um council race and of course then from there um three of his mayoral races in fact the second mayoral race i actually was the campaign manager and the first one ivanhoe donaldson was the manager and i was the deputy mm-hmm. um, so the second one and the third one were were my efforts Gotcha. And Ivanhoe Donaldson went on to be chief of the uh, chief of staff or city administrator. City administrator, gotcha. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also had this. This is going to be a future trivia question. You ran for board of uh, you ran for the board of education. I did. I did. I ran for board of education before I knew Marion Barry. Okay. I ran um, from Southwest, um, and. Um, I ended up having a little health problem along the way and was out of communique for almost six weeks, so I ended up being in a runoff. In those days, you had a runoff. Oh, okay. And um, I remember Bill Trainer was the representative uh, from the DuPont Circle community, and he mm-hmm. actually won, but he and I were in a runoff, yeah. But what's interesting to me is is because you and Josh for- Williams was my campaign manager. People oh, don't know that. Okay. Josh and I were in Southwest. Oh, at the back same in there time. for the school board. And, yes, and uh-huh. he, I think he's still in Southwest. Now. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then was your next race as with yourself as candidate was not until recently until your 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 current yes. council term because yes. that's what's interesting the biggest gap between oh, I know. runs for office i can't think yeah. of anyone else who who had that kind of gap that's just interesting that's true yes so um but uh and you served on three administration i mean three mayors yeah three of, yes that's correct and then multiple administrations within yeah how, how would you compare and contrast the mayors uh the personalities that you worked uh worked with each 
personality totally different from the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Marion Barry best um, because I worked for him for so long. Um, he was um, uh, very focused on saying hello to everyone and meeting everyone and, and just talking with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, he really believed this motto. He always expounded that. I can uh, walk and talk with kings and queens and the man who's sitting on the corner. You know, so he really practiced that. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the reasons why, you know, people, I, even today, when you say his name somewhere, people almost cheer. And I think it's because they felt a direct connection with him. Um, Anthony Williams, um, a little more laid back. Um, uh, and and, um, and um, quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, I thought that he um, did um, take time to talk and, and meet with people. Um, I think with with um, Sharon Pratt Kelly then, but now Sharon Pratt, um, I think her um, administration was the most difficult one because she was our first uh, female um, mm-hmm. leader. Um, but, you know, she had a, a strong circle of friends. She knew half the city, you know, her family's long-term residence um, and a part of the fiber of the community. So I think that worked for her to some degree. Sure. And having been married previously to Arrington Dixon, yeah. who was the own original Home Rule Council yes. member and a council chairman. So yes. quite the quite the power couple. Yes. Um, the um, and and one one more piece that was uh-huh. a mystery. Um, we're starting to run short on time, unfortunately. Okay. But um, the 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 thing that I didn't know about was that you'd spent time trying to help Africa. Uh, your time working with Africa. I actually yes was the director of development for Africare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Africare um, years ago was in twenty six of the various um, countries in Africa, doing primarily water and food. Um, and um, yes. And and did you get to do a lot of travel during that time? Or? Not a lot, but I I did have the the wonderful occasion to go to the continent and some of the countries a few times. Yes. And my my understanding of the origin of the organization is that um, one of the rulers of one of the countries said um, the folks, the African Americans have such an opportunity to give back to Africa. That's true. Um, that, it, that, that it's, uh, I guess there were a number of white-run organizations, but there was a real opportunity, a real gap for African-American-run yeah. organizations, and that was Africare. That was. In fact, uh, my, my husband uh, was a physician, a pediatrician, and one of the things that I always encouraged him to do, let's just go. <laughs> okay, let's just go. And he said, "You're almost convincing me." <laughs> so, well, if you got up and went for college and traveled across country to California, oh, yeah. then uh, by I, later I am in brave. life, yes, <laughs> yeah, Africa doesn't seem that far. No, no, it's not. Yeah, so it, it, you still do uh, a decent amount of traveling, or are you not as more, much? Uh, not as much. I'm one of those folks that if I could drive to Africa, I would, mm-hmm. or South America, or Norway. I like driving. It absolutely relaxes me because I only focus on the road, gotcha. as opposed to all these other little. <laughs> 
little things that are going on in the brain. <laughs> yeah, until, until they come up with teleportation. I love international oh, travel. Oh, yeah. With the I'm waiting rides. to be beamed. Just, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, we were promised that on TV a long time ago, and it still hasn't gotten here. I know. Uh, well, we do a uh, uh, one question that we wrap, well, two questions that we wrap okay. up with on okay. every episode. One is more successful than the other. Okay. Um, but I still have my fingers crossed. The first one is, do you do any impressions of actors, of fellow people in the Wilson building? Uh, no, I don't no, think I've done that. No one does. And what people keep telling me is, if I did, I would not do it on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to keep trying, because one of these days, it's going to be amazing. The voice that's going to come out, you know, we're going to find out that uh, someone does Bugs Bunny or, you know, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, the other question um, is, uh, as you may remember, James Lipton from inside the Actors Studio, in an homage to Bernard Pivot of the seminal program Apostrophe would ask all guests the same 10 thought-provoking questions. I will not be asking those questions. Okay, all right. Instead, please rank, in the order of preference for you, <laughs> these five items. Cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, and pie. Now, when you say rank them... Rank them. Tell me what your favorite is, down oh. to your least favorite. Hmm. It's like a culinary Myers-Briggs test. I find that the way people answer this question okay. tells you... Gives who you insight are. into okay. who they are. Uh, well, you know, I love vanilla ice cream. Okay. Okay. And I like pie. I make pies a lot. Okay. So we'll put those one and two. Yeah. And then cake. All right. And then cookies. Cookies. Okay. Candy the last. And then candy is last. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Well, now, I'm, what did I tell you about um, me? Well, it's first of all, it's interesting that, that you picked a flavor on ice cream. Because, uh -huh. like, I'm an ice cream lover, but yeah. I love them all. Okay. Um, and uh, it's just funny. Some people hone in on things. Jeremy Mendelssohn, strawberry rhubarb pie was his thing. Um, I like strawberry, but not rhubarb yeah, pie. But strawberry uh, pie is really, and cooked strawberry pie is really delicious. But the best is peach. Oh, it's peach in season. Peach, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, but thanks again for joining us. Um, we're on DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. Um, thanks again, um, You're Council welcome. Member Bonds, it's for joining fun. us. It was good fun. I got to about half my questions, so <laughs> we'll, we'll have to meet again uh, uh, in these same circumstances. But uh, for now, I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you.